Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whenever it is that you are here listening to us as we move on once again to another psalm, Psalm chapter 6, working our way as we do through these studies. And we're going to do 149 of the psalms. Yes, you've guessed it. There is one psalm that we're not going to cover in 20 minutes. That is the longest one that is in there, that's Psalm 119. But don't worry, we will be uploading some information, in fact, some sermons on that, a whole 26 of them, onto our YouTube channel. So uh, if you can wait, and by the time we get to Psalm 119, you may just be ready as we go through what is, in fact, uh, eight verses at a time through each one of the Hebrew letters. But that's a tease forward to something that is yet to come. Let's not lose sight of what we have. We're going to have a look again at Psalm 6 and have a look at what David has to say when he's weeping on his couch. So if you've got a Bible with you, why don't you either open it up on your app or open up. You've got an old fashioned uh, written one. Bless you. Me too. And we'll have a look to see what he says. So just press pause. And when you're ready, come back to me. Hopefully now you've had a chance to have a look at this scripture, which in itself uh, may, again, feel like it's heading into that list of, oh, what a depressing thing. And I wonder if you've had the, shall we say, the guts to go through verse chapter by chapter and say, you know what, I'm going to listen to all the Psalms, or you're just going through and picking your favourite ones. Now, I don't have a problem with you doing either whatsoever, but if you're going through them, maybe... Uh, Psalm 6 wouldn't be one that you would have picked out of choice. You've just ended here because this is the next one. But it's a powerful, powerful message. And I guarantee that in a world that is so socially anxious, one where the numbers on antidepressants and the statistical analysis that is around the idea of depression, this psalm has something to say into that moment. But not into the world's form of depression, its anxieties and its unstable nature or the anxieties of not having enough or not having the right things, you know, those things are never going to be met. In fact, sometimes it is the Lord who is the author behind that instability, bringing you to himself because this world is falling apart, not because God is making it fall apart, but because our first parents sinned and the answer why well why do disasters happen why uh, do children die at birth or in the womb why do people get born with severe mental impairments that can uh, hamper families not that every situation or even all of those situations end up being so depressing but the answer that comes back that is creation is corrupted and god is and has and is fulfilling his plan of restoration for all of those things we must be patient in them so it's not an answer to the worldwide sense of depression but it is an answer to a christian taboo should christians feel depressed and if they do feel depressed should they go off and seek mental health should they be taking uh, the kind of tablets that are sometimes given away the uh, backgrounds that come with the antidepressant type things it is a difficult subject, and today I don't have an, a need to get into the theological rightness of seeking advice. Uh, 
or even seeking medical help, I would always suggest that in any illness, one should seek medical support. And not all mental illness is due to something that can just be outthought. Sometimes there genuinely is physical reasons that people have issues with depression. I'm a diabetic. And I can tell you, I know what it feels like sometimes to have those sugar lows. And I often have to ask myself that question when I'm feeling sad and sometimes sad for no reason. How's my sugar level? Because maybe it's just a chemical imbalance going on within my body. And if we can take that acceptance, then we can get on to the other issue. This is a night psalm. And don't you think that's funny that, again, if you've been listening to an order, we've got a night psalm, a morning psalm, a night psalm. Sorry, a morning psalm, a night psalm, a morning psalm. And now we're on a night psalm again. And this night psalm is the very darkness of night without having to worry about going through the actual nighttime. When we read this phrase that is uh, put here in verse six, I am weary in my groaning all night. I make my bed swim. I melt my couch with my tears. I wonder, and I, I can own this and say that there are moments, in fact, moments, great moments, where I can read into that verse and feel it speaking into my situation. Where the nighttime doesn't have to come when the sun's gone down. It can be in the very midst of the day. And I can have what Churchill used to call the black dog days. The days where I just feel like there's no hope. Well, you can't say that. You're a, a teacher. You're on a, a podcast. You're here to encourage us with the word. Well, I am going to encourage you with the word by encouraging you with a word that encourages me by being honest and saying, I'm a human. I'm a flawed being. But also, I have my days of doubt. But I have my days where I have utter faith in God and yet feel hopeless. And that might sound contradictory. And in a sense it is, but humans are contradictory beings. But I think more hopefully that if you can hear another Christian, another person, somebody who's been the minister of a church, can say to you, I have had my days where I have not lost my faith in God, but I still felt faith, eh, hopeless. I like there's no hope. But we read it here in Scripture. And it gives us the understanding this is a psalm of David. David, with whom the word says, had a heart after God, with whom had a relationship, a conversational relationship, where God spoke to him both in his heart, where he spoke to him through prophets, and he even once saw the angel of the Lord who came and he spoke to him and he dedicated that threshing floor to him. He's talked directly to God, and yet he can talk also of a time when he has been in that darkest of night, which doesn't require the sun to go down, but it requires, or it is, hopelessness that comes over. Now, there are lots of reasons why that can come on, and I'm not here today to talk about that as a subject, but to talk to you about what Psalm 6 is about. And Psalm 6 is about David being in a place of hopelessness and using this psalm. And it's funny, really, how praise, praise can sometimes turn the corner. I will turn my mourning into dancing does not mean I'll dance my cares away. But it means that when I praise God, I build in myself the utter faith to know that God is bigger than my problems. And sometimes these uh, 
statements that can be put on fridge magnets don't help just let go and let god and all of those kind of things but as well as them being too simplistic they are true they just need unpacking a little bit in our mind and that's often what we want okay i'm going to let go and i'll let god but what does that mean how do i let go how do i let god so what is david's situation here as he he pretty much has a mental conversation and in the inscription it says to the chief musician you know sometimes there are scriptures in the bible that were written between one person and another or one person and a group of people well the holy spirit intended that they would be part of the canon of scripture but the writer probably didn't realize they were writing something that 2,000 years, 4,000, 6,000 years later would still be with us. But the Spirit did. But then there are some scriptures where they did. Philemon's one of those. It's a personal conversation between Paul and Philemon, the, the minister head of a church. But he addresses the book of Philemon to the church. It's a personal letter to the pastor, but it's addressed to the church so that they can hear everything that Paul was saying. And in this case, this was written to the chief musician. It was given its right musical notes because David wanted to talk about a personal issue. David was working through this personal issue. And then he wanted everybody to hear how he worked through this personal issue. And that's the way that we build on one another, you know, friends. When we, we share how we struggle these painted smiles don't do anybody any good all they do is they cause people to go off and to say to themselves well i'm not a christian like they're a christian but the the strength of the body the strength of the unit the strength of putting on the spiritual armor is fighting side by side and the purpose of the church and the body is even though we're different and in our differences we celebrate and encourage one another to be stronger and better in the Lord. And often that is by showing our weaknesses and showing how we overcame them. Here is David and his weakness is revealed in these first seven of the verses. And then he goes on to talk about what he knows in his faith, in his heart, and in the acknowledgement of scripture of what's going on. So why is David so sad? Why is he in what we could we could accurately call the depths of depression? He's weeping without reason. He's weak, so weak and so dark. What is the case? Well, it starts off in verse one with this phrase, O Jehovah, Jehovah, rebuke me not in your anger, nor chasten me in the heat of your fury now that's a an important phrase for us to grab hold of first of all because our initial thoughts here are well yes that's we don't want that either and people who kind of look into that as they look into that they might sit here and say well this is the truth of god isn't it you know he's an angry little man he's got this angry god syndrome and people grab hold of this idea that he's desperate to pour out his wrath and judgment on anybody who just kind of gets it wrong. But the act of grace, the act of sacrificing his son, the act of all that he talks about, including that he is a merciful God, declares that that just isn't his nature. 
David is not saying something here that is true of God, but he's saying something that he has come to believe or has kind of grabbed hold of him in a thought. And when we read in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 11 in 31 to 32, we understand about chastisement. Paul says to the Corinthians, if we would judge ourselves, we'd not be judged. But when we're judged, we chastened by the Lord and we should not be condemned with the world. That judgment of God, that chastening, or what he goes on further to say, a father chastens his son in love. Is the understanding that the scriptures teach us that God doesn't rebuke us in anger. It is an act of love. Now, in the often confused ways of our world, they is a situation where it's believed that you can't discipline a child. And when we hear the word chastisement, we automatically assume that the Bible's advocating taking a slipper, a belt, or a, a fist, or a hand to a child, when it certainly isn't. Removing an iPad, or taking off computer time, or making a child do their homework instead of talking to their friends, can equally be as chastising to a child and certainly seen in much worse light than taking a slipper or a belt. The word of God is not advocating that you beat your children. It's advocating that you chastise your children, rebuke them, but as an act of love. And that isn't a confused statement. That isn't a contradictory statement. Somebody who loves somebody has something to say. But the act of love is to rebuild. We read this in James when he talks about the tongue. But it tells us very clearly at the beginning of that conversation in the tongue that the teacher will be judged more harshly. There's no need to come down. And many teachers do that. They like to rip into other churches, pastors and preachers. And it's not that they're wrong. There are unfortunately many things that are taught, said, preached, and they're wrong. And they're all over the Internet. And we worry about them. We worry about people who hear them. But the chastisement that comes has to have an alternative. It has to have a challenge. It doesn't just have to be an absolute rebuke. And that's the act of love. But David has got it in his head. And that's why he's saying it at the beginning of this psalm. Don't do it in anger. Anybody who does something in anger never does something wisely. They, you don't beat somebody in anger. You can get angry because of something, but you don't beat somebody. You don't chastise them in fury. Those are never good emotions when you are doing something. And that's why the counting to 10 isn't a bad idea. Once David's figured that out, he says this phrase, have mercy on me. Oh, Jehovah, for I'm weak. Oh, Jehovah, heal me for my bones are troubled. And that phrase, my bones are troubled, coupled with the word mercy teaches two different things and if you ever read psalm 38 and obviously at some point well 32 podcasts from now we're going to be in psalm 38 but in psalm 38 we we read a psalm that describes almost the gangrenous attack on the body and gangrene it just kind of consumes the body it it kills off the cells and it grows through the muscles and the bones it's a an arthritic ache that comes in the cold and the heat there is utter pain in the body and even today in 2020 the only solution for gangrene is to cut off the appendage so that it doesn't spread to the rest of the body 
but in that it phrases this my bones are troubled because it is a it's a poetical way of talking about how sin in itself can have an effect now the world is lost you know when you get angry at the sin of the world i do understand we can get angry we can get upset but it is getting angry at water for being wet it is its nature it doesn't surprise me it's the way that it is that doesn't mean we don't speak up nor does it mean that we don't live lives of light uh, but we'll always be persecuted because we do however when it comes into the church and when it comes into you doesn't mean you've lost your salvation well of course not how can we lose something that was given to us by god we can give it up and walk away from it and that's what the devil is trying to do get you to say you don't believe in god anymore and so the idea of sin starting to take a hold on a live body is the body is dying and when it consumes in the end you will become dead not because you've sinned too much but because you can't stand in the presence of god anymore because God is talking to you about a subject and you don't want to hear it anymore. So the only place you could be is not in his presence. So you wander away. It's a hard lesson. I, I've experienced it myself, but it is a challenge that comes to us. We have to listen when we start to feel that way. And that's what David's doing here. This is the na nature for his crime. When you say have mercy, that's very different to forgive. See, to forgive somebody is to, to say, it's okay, don't worry about it, I will let you off. But when you ask for forgiveness, you're not necessarily admitting guilt. But when you ask for mercy, mercy comes after the judgment, comes after the conviction. Mercy is a plea falling upon the person whom is about to be punished. They claim mercy. Lord, mercy, I am guilty but please don't punish me. And that's what David is saying here. He's saying, have mercy on me. I know I've done wrong. It's consuming me. I've got to deal with this. And that is the process for his darkness. He doesn't lose his faith in God, but he's lost his hope because the consumption over him, his own sin, he's crying out to mercy for God. But spoiler alert when we get to the bottom he comes to the conclusion and understands well god isn't an angry god desperate to punish me in fact there's a chastisement upon me that's bringing me to a place of calling upon mercy because the lord hears my cry he hears my prayer and he forgives me of that punishment not because he could just say, ah, don't worry about it, but because he takes it upon himself, his own son. Now, David makes his own personal declaration to God in this. Because this sadness that is consumed in this hopelessness that has come over him, it's not as simple as saying, I have sinned, please forgive me of my sin. Nor is it as simple as saying, Lord, I, I'm starting to live again in the sins of the past. The things that you forgave me of its salvation. He's come to the conclusion that they actually have a cost within him. He's come to the conclusion and understanding that although through salvation and through the acceptance of Jesus, we have the promise of a new body, of an acceptance into heaven, of his salvation that covers the price for our sins. Sin still happens in our lives. And Christians often struggle with that 
idea concept convincing themselves that they haven't done the salvation thing right in the first place because otherwise they wouldn't sin or even worse just like david well the reason then therefore that uh, i've lost my job the reason then i i don't have any money the reason that on elspeth has now got cancer the reason it rains on me is because god is punishing me but that's not how god works and he understands the nature of us. The conversation is not, here I'm doing something wrong, let me off. The conversation is, I need to move away from this. You can't say to a drug addict, just stop taking drugs. It doesn't work. And it's not because they don't want to. There's an addiction level that comes into them that is chemical. And in a sense, that's true with us as sin. Now, we make a conscious choice to sin. I'm not saying that we don't. God doesn't tempt us. But we struggle in that. And some days we have good days and other days we can feel far from God. And because this is a relationship, not a religion of lists of rules and laws, but a relationship with the Lord, he is saying, and David is showing, when you have a relationship with the Lord and you've got to this point where you know he's there, where you love him and you care for him, but you feel so hopeless, the answer that can come in is because you know that your behavior is not one that is worthy of the relationship. But I love you, Lord, but I don't act like I love you. So how long, how long... Am I going to act like this, Lord, how long? And this might seem a bit cheeky of David to say, but Lord, how long are you going to let me behave like this? Please come in and help me to stop this. And that's what the Lord wants to hear. The reference to enemies. We have to remember that the Bible teaches us that we don't have enemies in this world our enemies is a spiritual one as i said in psalm 5 as we read in zechariah the devil accusing jonathan the high priest because his clothes were filthy and the lord said i rebuke you satan that's the shield that we need to get behind and that's what we need to do so that our enemy is exceedingly ashamed that he cannot drag us to his place or cause us to give up and reject God, but to hold firmly unto him. And so the challenge to each and every one of us is, of course, to call on mercy of the Lord. But as he says, to believe, to believe, but to move into that relationship and now ask the Lord this keyest question, Lord, my behavior is not according to this relationship and i want to put this relationship first do you want to put your relationship with jesus is well here's the challenge the lord bless you all